it's a very real thing. It's something that we don't see, you know, because we've all fallen for it, right? Like, how I didn't think about it buying a new car. Like, I should have been, right? I should have been asking those questions. But it wasn't until I had to change the battery that all of a sudden I discovered, wait a minute, I'm locked into this ecosystem. And so we all know it happens to us, but it happens so subtly that we don't realize it until we're so locked in that it's like, well, what do we do? We're, we've got the sunk cost. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So we're back at it again. Where what is I? going on? Uh, just hanging out. It's uh, it's been a little rainy and windy. The cloudiness makes me tired, so I feel like I need to have a nap. So mm. I just made a second coffee, and then uh, I found these at the Costco, and I'm digging them. What's that? The Lipton green tea citrus iced tea. Interesting. Okay. Trying to load up uh, caffeine here, so although I think the green tea is pretty low in caffeine. Nice. Well, I, I think our know. conversation today will kind of get you fired, fired up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Yeah, sounds it's, it, good. It's been sunny here all week. It's been nice. We've had the windows open. It's been great. Um, but there's a storm coming in this weekend. Apparently, there's like a a tropical storm kind of heading right toward where we're at, like our general area. And I was supposed to run a ten mile. 10 mile race on um, Sunday, but that's looking iffy at the moment. Or if not, it's going to happen. I'm going to be running in the rain uh, uh, again. Um, Might be. I've, I've I've done it. I've done it's it's down at the shore, um, and I've done the half marathon the last two years. This year, I'm just like not quite ready for a half marathon because I hit the wall at mile 10, and like when I hit the wall, I hit the wall hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to do the 10 miler this year and see how I feel. And last year was rough, um, with the wind and the rain. And so they made it a week earlier this year. Um, and it still seems like it's going to rain. So we'll see. Well, best of luck with that. Hopefully you don't get rained out and, uh, thank you. you. Strong showing. Yeah. Oh, did I lose you? Nope, I'm here. Okay. It, all of a sudden, it looked like the screen froze, too. I was watching that on... Uh, have, you, have you seen that reel on Instagram? I'll have to send it to you. Uh, where where they're doing... It's like six people, and they're in a team meeting, and the one guy... Like, freezes, and then... And then... And then... It's like, oh, does someone else want to jump in for it? He's like, yeah, I got this. And then the other guy starts talking, and he, like, freezes, but his uh, ceiling fan is going. He's like... Come on, Brad, you idiot. Your ceiling fan is still spinning. <laughs> anyway, oh, like I'm, no, I haven't seen it's, that one. It's pretty funny. I'll find yeah, it. Send that to me. That, that's, yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm trying to think of a pivot to our, to our conversation this week, but not sometimes, really. Sometimes it just has to be an abrupt just, uh, shifting of gears. Yeah. Um, so, 
I, I want to talk about something which, I mean, this is this is not a new idea. It's something we've seen for forever, but it's come up recently with two different clients that we work with. And so when, when you're hiring an agency, um, I'll kind of get right to it. It's, it's, you know, understanding why. And we've talked about this before, like why you hire, say, a consultant versus a contractor. Yeah. But understanding why and, and um, understanding why you're hiring the agency will help identify if this is happening. So, um, you know, the, the idea of working with partners or agencies that do certain things that make you dependent upon them. So the, the concept of vendor lock-in. So like I said, it's, it's nothing new and it's not even unique to our industry. It's, it's a tactic deployed across many different industries, both um, on the B2B side versus the B2C side. Um, and basically with this tactic, what you see is organizations that you've partnered with um, building features, implementing processes that in some ways are proprietary and make you completely dependent upon them. So any kind of attempts to switch out partners comes at tremendous cost. Um, what's been your experience with, with this on the digital analytics agency side? I mean, it, it definitely exists. Um, and I think the first thing to recognize, and this isn't looking for any sympathy for, for us or any other agency owners, but running an agency is really, really difficult. Um, you know, uh, being able to predict future revenues and obviously you want to, well, m most agencies want to develop long-term relationships with, with their clients, but then you're in this tough spot of, you know, do we, do we purposefully keep them immature so they're relying on us or do we trust in our skills and services to take them to other levels and get them more and more elite? Um, and we've, we've kind of chosen that latter, um, version and the type of customers that we want to work with are the ones that want to be the most elite. And I think we've talked about the analogy of, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, etc. at the top of their game, still had a coach, you know, you get, it's not like you get to the top of your game and you don't uh, need a coach anymore. And so that's the way we've kind of looked at it. Others have not. Um, and, and in order to ensure kind of a long-term livelihood with with a client rather than focusing on being kind of a coach that helps their clients get to an elite level and it's it's often um but i don't want to say it's the majority that but there are a handful of agencies that choose tactics that lock their clients into their ecosystem and whether that's through software through licensing you know we've seen this this happens or used to happen quite a bit on the google side where the agency actually owned the Google accounts for their clients. And I said, well, if you leave, you lose all your data because we own your accounts, you know, um, or it could be through, through proprietary systems or softwares. I remember, oh, geez, maybe this was eight years or so ago, we worked with a, a client that was deeply, deeply dependent on an agency because they were processing all of their data. Um, and it was this hidden system that didn't, they had no idea how it worked what it did, how it was manipulating the data. And I think that was by design because they couldn't walk away. And so it, it does happen. Um, and, and not to say there are times where it's not so by design. There may be times where, you know, there, there is some lock-in and it just kind of organically happens. But I think more often than not, it's absolutely by design. You know, create these systems, processes, software, 
contractual, what have you, where the whole design is to, to lock customers in. And it's just a red flag, right? And it's like with any other things in, in life, you know, if, if you're getting locked into some kind of long-term thing that you can't get out of, or you're highly dependent on with no more options, it should raise some questions around, is this the right thing for me? Um, and then a lot of times it's, it's not, I think this, this kind of mentality to me set in really, really early when I was in college, I think I was looking at joining a local gym and one gym had like, you know, a month to month contract. One had like a year contract and this one gym had like a, a four year contract. And I'm like, what the hell? Um, and the one that had the four year contract was the dumpiest piece of crap. Like people were unhappy, but they didn't care. Right. They had really good salespeople that lock people into this system and they couldn't get out. And so they had their money. Um, so not to say that there isn't value to having kind of long term commitments, but if you're purposefully creating something to keep someone locked in, it it should be it should be a red flag, especially um, especially in the analytics landscape when dealing with vendors. Um, you you sh- you shouldn't you should have the opportunity to to move around if if that is available to you. Yeah. So so two things um, where I saw this happen most recently is is with a client where we're providing more of a mentoring and advisory uh, level of service where you know our primary stakeholder wants his team to be leveled up so they can own as much as possible. And that's one of the reasons why he partnered with us is, is because we're going to do exactly that. We're going to put them in the position to own it and, and us guide it. Um, but he's also highly dependent upon another business unit that went an opposite direction. So they've recently replatformed, and actually by recently, I mean within the last two years, and they hired another agency to do the the heavy lifting of of the the implementation. But one of the things we learned recently is that there are certain functions that they've labeled utilities that they built into the tag manager, which, the other business unit and the agency have an agreement where the agency will be the only ones to update it. And I mean, it was just a mess of red flags. So I went to our stakeholder saying, this is a problem. If you're in a way beholden to the other business unit and they made this decision, like they've, they've built something that they need to own. And it, it, that's just massive red flag. That, that's, that, that's a huge problem. And he agreed, like he saw it too. He saw through it and was like, no, I don't want to be beholden to them. I want my team to, to own it. And so the second part of that, and this is always something where I felt like I've been missing something throughout my career because I have worked for other organizations where they didn't quite say it, but they implied that, yeah, they want to get their hooks into, into a client and make it so that it, it is difficult for the client to switch. Whereas instead of doing the opposite of um, helping upskill them so that they can own it so that you can solve other problems, it, it just, it always felt backwards to me. I, I always felt yeah. like the more I worked myself out of a job, the more someone would want to work with me. And I, that, that's why I've, I've always felt like there, I was missing something. I'm like, it can't be as easy as I think it is. <laughs> but it is. And and I think that when 
that's not the case, it, it often tells a lot of how um, companies see the value of what it is they're offering, whether it's a platform or a service or a software. Um, you know, we can talk about agencies or analytics, but this is true across the board. You know, just look at social media. Um, Elon locked down Twitter so you can't link to certain websites like um, news, newsletter websites or other websites. Uh, LinkedIn deprioritizes posts if you link to your own blog or link out. And so that's why you see this like weird thing on LinkedIn where someone will write a post and say, oh, if you want to go read the article, it's in the comments because it's a way to hack around the algorithm that deprioritizes posts that link outward. To me, that's a massive red flag that LinkedIn, that Twitter doesn't trust that their platform has any value. So they have to keep everyone locked into the platform. We can't send them somewhere else because if they leave, they're not going to come back. We have to trick them and, and force them to stay here. And so we see it all over the place. You know, it's not specifically... Um, specific to vendors. We see this mentality across the board in business. And to me, while sure, I mean, there are some logical reasons where it may make sense, but if you're so fearful that someone is going to step outside your ecosystem and never come back, that says way more about your platform than anything else. Because if you're providing value, if you're providing a great experience, it doesn't matter if they run across the street, they're going to come back because they love what they're getting from you. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen this in the automotive industry. Um, they, they've made it so that routine maintenance on your car is very, very difficult to do. Um, you know, they talk about 50 years ago, everybody performed the routine maintenance on their own cars. But these days you open up the hood, unless you really, really, really know what you're doing. Like it, it, they, they built them in such a way that it's intimidating. And most people are be like, I don't have the time to invest in doing this. I'm just going to take it back to the dealership for, for routine service. Like we've seen it happen there. Have we talked about that before? Because, um, yeah, so like two extremes. It's one reason why I am going to like baby my Jeep and take care of it. It is the most amazing thing to take care of. It's so easy. You know, everything is there and it's like belt for someone to maintain that, that thing. So you're not locked into their ecosystem. But the newer cars, and I, the reason why I brought this up is, um, I can't remember, I'm not going to name the car. We it, It's a car I, don't, I no longer own. But the maintenance of just like changing the battery on it was insanely difficult and i finally asked someone at the the dealership i'm like why is this so difficult to do and he said something like well we're not really supposed to say this but one of the strategies is from the manufacturer is that they don't want people messing with their own car so they deliberately design them to be difficult to maintain unless you know what you're doing like it's a deliberate decision again deliberate decision to lock people into the ecosystem yeah i've, I've heard that as well um, I've heard the, the exact same thing. It is to push you there. And I mean, I even think some vehicles, if you do certain, um, certain changes or whatever, you void the warranty. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like for years, like whenever you've had a lease, like you obviously can't make major modifications to the vehicle, but now it's, even if you own it going in and maintaining it, you, you void the warranty. Whereas before it was, and I'm talking about the stuff that you could maintain previously. Yeah. And, and, it, and again, like I, I love this discussion because I think we can pick almost any aspect of life and we can find examples of this, this vendor lock-in. And I think in part, I can understand it, especially when you're talking about like, 
you know, OEM parts and you want to ensure that it's going to work. And I get that. But if, if you're purposefully designing things just to keep people locked in, I, I think about the printers all the time. Like, you know, the printers now, like, I don't know if you, how recent you've bought in a printer or purchased a printer, but like you used to be able to buy, you know, a non OEM print cartridge or go to someplace to have it refilled. But now they're so sophisticated that you put that in and the printer locks up. You can't even use the printer anymore because it's like, nope, you're not using one of our parts. And and I get it, right? Like I get it on one hand that they want to control the experience. But if you're purposefully manufacturing it to such a degree because, and I think it's really about the intent. If you're doing it because you're trying to create a great experience with your brand, okay, maybe I can give you a little bit of leeway. But if you're going into it with the intent of, of locking people in because you want to keep them in the ecosystem because you don't trust the value of your product, it's unethical, you know? And it again, it just screams, is this a product that I want to buy? Are they really that... Um, are they really that scared that their quality isn't going to keep me locked in their ecosystem? If that's the case, why why do I want to be owning this thing? And it's the true for the true for services, right? Like if I'm going to go out and I'm going to partner with a vendor, and I and I can see that part of their process is to lock me into some system, I should be asking myself: Are they really that scared that I'm not going to appreciate the value and the quality of their product that they have to lock me into some? you know, system that they've put in place where I can't go into my own platform and change the rules and write my own code, I should be worried, you know? So, so you bring up a good point there. So when say, um, evaluating, and let, let, let's stay very, very focused, um, agencies in the, the MarTech and digital analytics space, if you're evaluating agencies, are there any telltale signs that you would see right out of the gate that, you know, could uh, help clue you in that this is an agency that, that, that does this, or is it sometimes like things you just need to keep an eye on and make sure that like, it's not this slow creep toward it. I mean, I think it's the latter. Cause I don't think agencies are going to come out and tell you during the sales process. Oh, by the way, we have this, you know, unique design to our system where once you're onboarded, you can, you can get in, but you ain't getting back out. Like they're not going to tell you that. Right. Um, and no, so, and I, I didn't think they, they would say that, but like, is there maybe yeah. other tells that it's like, Ooh, like I'm, I'm concerned about that. I, th- I think it's, I think it's difficult to know, um, other than asking really tough questions around, you know, what are your processes? How do you do this? You know, can you tell me about a time where it did that? Like, you know, you, you, you have to get a, a good sense for it. Um, but as far as a tell, I, I don't know. Um, don't do an RFP, <laughs> you know, like again, like, you know, I, I've, I've been railing on RFPs, but RFP is a great way to select a vendor that's going to lock you in because these, these so. pro- well, they're, they're cold, they're, they're clinical. And what they're doing is they're not allowing you to connect with your vendor on a human level to really get a sense of their ethics, of their values. So when you're when you're completing an RFP, like you've set these really strict rules for how you can communicate and you're communicating primarily through this vehicle that's this document format that they've created. And so you're evaluating your match with a vendor based on these responses that have been kind of predetermined to fit within these guardrails. 
And so you have very, very little ability to have a, a conversation like you and I are having. You know, this is how you select vendors. This is how you select partners. It's not through some clinical intake form. It's through sitting down and having conversations on a human level to get a sense of, you know, not only what skills Jim brings, but how do you view things? What's your ethos? What is, what's kind of your ethical standards? How do you think about quality? Those things are really, really difficult to get across in a clinical setting like an RFP. But if I'm sitting down and talking with Jim and we're having human-to-human conversations, I, I can get a pretty good sense of are we in, aligned in how we view things from an ethical perspective. Okay, so then to flip the question around a bit. You know, like, I, I know you just asked a couple questions, but like, are there specific things that you would bring up, specific topics, specific questions to elicit, like, is this agency really caring about my success or are they trying to um, pull me in and get me stuck into their ecosystem? Tell me about your longest tenured client. Oh, that's a good one. Right? Yeah. Um, because that's going to tell a story. If you've had a client for six years and let's let's kind of stick in the analytics space and you say, you know, what what are you doing with this client? And they're like, well, we're kind of just doing the same thing we did six years ago. <laughs> you know, we're kind of just repeating. You, you know, that's going to tell a very different story of, well, we started off doing A and we worked ourselves out of a job and we built this whole team and then we kind of pivoted and we did this thing over here and then we kind of went up here and did this other thing. Have them tell you about that that client journey I think that's going to tell you a lot about how they view their relationship with with the client. If you see them growing with the client, if you see them leaving a client smarter than than how they they met them, if you see like them building teams and really mentoring the organization so they can move up and solve bigger and more complex problems, then that tells you they're probably not interested in in locking them in. If on the other hand, you're hearing a story of, well, we haven't really matured much in six years and we're kind of just keeping the lights on. And of course, they're not going to come out and say it like that. But if you can kind of pick that up from the story that they're really just there kind of as a staff hog and kind of doing the thing and doing the checklist of doing the work, um, there's a high likelihood that they've built some system in place to keep them locked in and to secure the job that they'll keep doing that job but there's really very little interest in maturing uh, the client because why would I have to? Why would I need to put in that extra work? We've we've got them locked into the ecosystem. What's my motivation to try to do bigger and better things with them? Yeah, and and ultimately why this conversation is important and why this is something critical to think about when you're partnering with an agency, with a technology vendor, is that do they have your long-term success and therefore seeing your long-term success is, you know, relates to their long-term success. Do they have that in mind or do they only care about their success and whether you grow or not is, is irrelevant. Yeah. And so I think that's why that's such a powerful question. Like, tell me about your most successful client. Tell me about your longest tenured client. That's, that's going to tell you a lot about where their motivation sits um, and it's probably going to tell you a lot about what it's like to engage with them as, as a vendor. Um, and again, I think it's really important to understand what you're looking to, to get out of it. You know, if, if all you're looking to do is to add some additional power to your bench and it's just a part-time employee, you may look at it differently than if it's a 
we want to be the most elite that we can and we want to go out and hire the very best analytics coach there is so our team can be the best in the world you know those are kind of two different perspectives so um, we're, we're kind of talking about vendor lock-in but in order to help address that issue up front we have to know and we i think we've had a couple uh, episodes on this, we have to know why we're buying in the first place. Um, and if we don't know that, it's kind of hard to ask the right questions to determine if this vendor has my best interest in mind or or not. So we when we started this off, we we talked about, you know, one of the pitfalls of this is being so stuck that the cost to switch is 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 enormous yeah whether it be the not just the actual monetary cost of moving vendors and rebuilding but in knowledge um like if, if you are so dependent upon the the vendor that you lose knowledge if they leave and whatnot but tell me you know a bit more what you think are like some of the other major um problems if you fall into this trap so I think one of the biggest ones, um, and if we kind of look at vendor as far as, as maybe a platform, one of the biggest ones is ownership. Like who owns what? Um, you know, off, oftentimes when you think about vendor locking, the vendor locking is to the data. So the thing that is the most valuable, we don't even own. So, you know, whether it's a services company or a software company, um, if, if they're making it if they've designed it in such a way that it's very, very difficult for you to get and have access to the data, should be a huge red flag. Um, that again, like that's probably engineered for a very specific reason to keep you dependent on their system. If on the other hand, they, they say, look, we're, we want to make it super easy for you to get the data. It's your data. You know, that, that says a lot about their trust in the value of what it is that, that they're offering you. And again, this is both on the services and on the software side. So if I'm, if I'm purchasing a SaaS product and they're making it very difficult for me to get my data, tells me a lot about their trust in in the value that they're offering me. If I'm working with a services company and they're manipulating my data, they're munging it, they're cleaning it, and they're whatever, but I don't get to see what the process is and I can't access the data in or Again, that's a huge red flag that this is a an agency that wants to own that and if I leave then they're, you know, we're out of luck. And we've seen this with lots of companies where they've bought where they've purchased professional services hours to own kind of that data pipeline and it's so secretive it's so unknown that they're locked in that they can't leave it's like we can't leave we have no idea where the data is coming from where it's going how it's moving through the pipelines and how it's coming out if we if we in this contract if we in this maintenance contract with this agency then basically our pipelines fall apart again it should be a huge red flag they should be teaching you how these pipelines work how to maintain them how to fix them, how to extend them. But if they're not, again, then it's a huge red flag that they're trying to keep you locked in. They see that teaching you what they knew know is a risk rather than seeing teaching you what they know as a huge upside. Yeah. And then I think that that's one of the biggest questions to answer. Are they willing to teach me what they know? Yeah. And and in many ways, like I do see, yeah, this is definitely predatory. You mm -hmm. said in many ways it's unethical, but here's, here's where they get you. Like, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, an agency isn't going to tell you that, yep. When, when we build this for you, you are stuck with us 
until you're done using whatever we build. They're not going to tell you that, but what what it's how it's often done and where I've seen it, it's it's disguised as convenience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's disguised as yeah, we're going to make it easy for you. We'll handle all of it for you. Um, let us let us take on the burden of that. Don't and and here's the thing is don't worry about how it works. We'll manage all of that for you. It's going to be seamless for you. <laughs> it's 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 it feels so good as a buyer, right? Because we're so overwhelmed. Our teams are so taxed and so we have an agency coming in and say, "Oh, you have Adobe Launch and you're trying to build Don't worry about it. We got this." In mm-hmm. fact, we've got this connector that bolts onto it that makes it so easy. You don't even need to think about. It. Don't worry about it. You go do analysis. We'll do this. What they don't see is the fine print that says, oh, by the way, if you end our services contract, we're taking this connector off, which is going to destroy and stop all of your data collection. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it it was more on like the the health and fitness side of things, Um, but it applies here. And the the person who was talking, you know, said something that kind of like stuck with me. I've been thinking about it all week is... um, Convenience and comfort will be your death. Mm. When you're not challenging yourself, when you're not pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, if you're not feeling uncomfortable, or in this case, like in the case I was listening to, the case of like being being fit, if if your workout is comfortable, it's it's no workout. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, if we apply that same thought process to digital analytics, the convenience can be your death in the case of you're stuck with a vendor. Mm -hmm. And then like, think about any business, any uh, industry where there's a level of monopoly or duopoly. The customer service sucks, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Always. Because, because they don't have to, um, they don't have to keep customers happy. There's no other choice. And that's where you have to be very, very careful. There's one thing in this space about, having tools that integrate well, that enhance them, that make them better together. It's another thing to have it way too, it, where it's way too convenient for you and somebody else is managing it because then you don't own it. Yeah, and, and without going too much on a tangent, it's why most of the big consulting agencies and almost all of the agencies that are part of a, a SaaS vendor are mediocre or as the kids say, they're mid. You they're know, mid. They're mid. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm not up with the current slang. I hear it. <laughs> I hear some of the current slang. And I'm like, I am not going to be the get off my lawn guy. But I'm like, oh, come on. Is that well, the best you can come up with with some of the slang? You'll, you'll, you'll get there because the only reason I'm up on it is because uh, I have an eight-year-old who's mm-hmm. up on all the, the slang. Well, I mean, I may have a four-year-old and one on the way. But I also, like, we're... Like, I'm telling you right now, I'm just going to say it, like, we're going to be, like, the older parents at college orientation. Um, And I've actually set a goal for myself. Because we're having kids a little bit later in life, I'm like, I need to be as fit as possible (laughs) so that I'm active into my 70s and whatnot. So, whole other topic. But I've jokingly said, I said, we're going to be the the good-looking older parents at college orientation. You're going to walk into orientation, I'll rip, like, Jeff Bezos, shaved head, and be like... Let's go. Damn straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that's exactly the, the vision I've set for myself for 15 years from now. Yeah. But um, 
where I was going with that is, is I do have like some nieces and nephews who are right around the 14, 15 yeah, age range. So I do hear some of the slang and I'm like, oh, come on. Is that the best you can come up with? I know some of the slang when we were kids was bad, but at least it wasn't as bad as this. That's just me. <laughs> I've just alienated part of our listening audience. Uh, so the anyway, these these SaaS yes. the vendors. Please get me the, back on track. So the the <laughs> SaaS vendors that also have consulting organizations, and then the big big name brand, which we all know the name brands. They're mid, and they're mid because they don't have to be elite. They don't have to be great because people are gonna buy their shit because of their name, right? Like how many times have we heard it? Well. Who's gonna? There's no one that can consult on Adobe's project, you know, product as well as Adobe can. It's their own product. This is a mentality a lot of people have, you know. Yeah, yeah let well, me partner with the vendor and their services. They're they're so going to be the best, you know. Um, and the same holds true for the big agencies. It's like, well, this big agency that's been around for 200 years, of course they're the best. So they get business because of their gravity, because of their name, and that in a lot of cases. It makes them mid again as the kids say they're mid because they're not they, they lack the motivation to be elite because they don't have to be they get a shit ton of business just because of their name um and so anyway i i can go off on a tangent on that but you know that's that's the reality of of what the landscape looks like um but pulling it back to to vendor lock-in um you know it's it's a very real thing it's something that we don't see, you know, because we've all fallen for it, right? Like, how I didn't think about it buying a new car. Like, I should have been, right? I should have been asking those questions. But it wasn't until I had to change the battery that all of a sudden I discovered, wait a minute, I'm locked into this ecosystem. And so we all know it happens to us, but it happens so subtly that we don't realize it until we're so locked in that it's like, well, what do we do? We're, we've got the sunk cost. And so I think we just need to slow down a little bit, especially in the MarTech space where, again, I think, you know, it's not the majority, but it's enough that if you haven't run into it, you will to just slow down a little bit and ask the question, what happens when the battery dies? How easy is it to replace it? You know, we should be asking some of these questions up front just to get a sense of, of, of what it's like working with, again, whether this is a service provider, a software vendor, you know, or someone else to just get a better understanding of what is it like to be in a relationship with them? And, you know, do they have enough trust in their product that they're going to allow me to interact with it to change my own battery to take my own data out or do they lack trust in the value they're providing and they're purposefully engineering their software and their services to make it incredibly difficult uh for me to do anything myself because they want me locked into their ecosystem yeah and i want to add one thing to that when you're asking those questions if everything comes back to a convenience factor. Well, it's just as easy. Bring it to us to do this, or it's just easy. We'll manage that for you. Or we, 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 you don't have to worry about that. We got that for you as part of the package. That is something that you should think long and hard about. Yeah. And it's, that's awesome if they do, but the follow-up question is that is awesome. Can you teach me while you do that? Yes. And it's, it's something I talk about with every single prospect I talk to. I, you know, I say, look, if we're not sharing with you what we know, if we're not making you smarter, then we have absolutely failed you. 
doesn't matter how good of an implementation we build for you. doesn't matter what incredible insights that we deliver to you. If we're not sharing our knowledge with you and making you smarter, we've, we've fundamentally failed you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as, as we start to wrap up and I think like one of the themes with this is like, this is something that happens through just about everything we touch in life. But there's no major red flags, or at least, I mean, you could pick up on some, some things early on that should cause you concern, but there's no major red flags that this is whether intentionally, and most times it is intentional or unintentionally, a partner is going to lead you down this path of being locked into their ecosystem. It's something that happens subtly. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's okay. If you picked up, if you didn't pick up on any issues during the vendor interview process, it's something you need to keep an eye on because it's something that happens over time. And sometimes it even starts with innocuous things. Oh, yeah. let us handle this for you. Let us get that for you until it's the, you are just so dependent upon this partner that, I mean, like, I think you even said it, uh, you know, a few moments ago where if you take them out, everything comes crashing down. It's not even like that you could take them out and bring in somebody else and, Maybe you know there's the cost of getting them onboarded and involved into the ecosystem. You have to completely start from scratch. Yeah, and we've kind of batted around. You know, you said what's what are the red flags? What what should you do? I, I'm going to settle on a really really simple question: Can you show me? Can you teach me? Like it, you know, you're you're right. Like these things happen very subtly. Oftentimes, this is very much by design, um, but through the sales process, as you're engaging with a, a vendor, I would be consistently asking those questions. Hey, we're going to do this for you. Or, hey, we're going to work on this. Awesome. Can you show me? Can you teach me how that's done? If if they waver, if they say no, if they make it un, unnecessarily complicated to try to explain it, then that's probably a good indication that they don't want to teach you. They don't want you to know because there's fear that... Well, if Jim knows how to do this, then why why is Jason needed anymore? Um, and that that should be concerning. Yeah. All right. Cool. So as we start to wrap it up, I have one more question for you. Um, what does all of this mean in the context of sustainable analytics? Well, to, I think you answered it. You know, if if every time we make a switch, we have to start from scratch, that's not very sustainable. You know, it's it's basically. Um, it's basically this, this process where things are built. What, 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 what was the word where you said they're engineered to be like, uh, engineered to like follow, like, you know, it's, planned it's, obsolescence. Yeah. Planned obsolescence. Right. Like, well, like we have to just throw it away and start from scratch. Like if, if we're trying to build a program where it's built on knowledge and value that we're, we're accumulating over time. If, if we're locking, if we're getting into these systems where we're locked in and the only thing that we can do is throw away and start over, we're, we're, we're basically carving into our foundation every time we make those decisions. So it's really, really difficult to build something that's lasting and sustainable if it's built on such a flimsy foundation that it was, you know, bound to be obsolete the minute that you shut off the, the, the check that goes to that specific vendor. Cool. Um, so this has been, this has been great. And like we, we kicked it off, this is not a new topic and it's not going away anytime soon. 
it was just a, there was a few things that have come up over the last couple of weeks. I'm like, we need to talk about this. Yeah, because no, it's, it's definitely it's something that people don't realize until it's too late. And and these are the conversations I, I love to have, and I'm sure that I upset some people. I'm sure there's people in other agencies or vendors that don't like me, and that's okay. Um, but I we've decided to take a very blunt and transparent approach on how agencies and vendors work. And, you know, we may take it for granted because we see the insides of how these things work, but oftentimes people don't. And to your point, a lot of these tactics are very, very subtle. And so that's why we have these conversations and share. I think it's important for people to know, you know, how these things work so they can make informed decisions. Uh, you don't need to work with us, but you need to make a smart, informed decision for yourself. And if you don't know some of these tricks and tactics that are used, you're going to fall victim to it. I know because we all have. We all have at some point in time. And so, you know, the more we know about how these things operate, the better. And if people don't want to talk about them, and if these conversations aren't being had, you know why. Like, it's this trade secret that they don't want getting out. And that's concerning. So if it's a trade secret that no one wants to out, those are things that we should be talking about. Yeah. And, and when you talk in, in, in terms like that, like, it's not lip service. Um I try to be as transparent as I can with clients and the particular one where this happened most recently, um, I, when I approached him about this and you know, I said, this is my concern. And I then followed up with, listen, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. I really mean like, I want to make sure your team is, is leveled up so that they can own this because I, I, I don't want to own this. I want them to be able to own it so that I can then help you solve more complex problems. Absolutely. Because none of are, us, none of us are progressing if no, if we're just continuing to focus on these things. In the services space, our goal should be to get the people we work with to be at the very top of their game, to be the most elite. And if we're doing things to purposely hold them back from getting elite, we're, we're failing. Very much so. Cool. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, awesome conversation. Um, thank you much, and we'll talk to everyone later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.